And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And when they were owed your God to the test, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and reported about him, went through all the surrounding country, and he taught their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has appointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this is not this Jesse's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came all over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. When they had heard these things, all the synagogue was filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town, their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. Help us, strengthen us, and uphold us as we seek to hear your voice in your word in this moment. We are hungry. We are in need of your voice. And so we pray that you would speak to us and enable us to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. At the beginning of December, we began an Advent sermon series called The Wondrous Gift is Given. And we're thinking about gifts that Jesus gives to those who trust in him. On week one, we thought about rest. Come to me, Jesus said. All who labor 
and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then last week we thought about redemption. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this week, closely related to that, is liberty. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus said, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus gives liberty. Several years ago now, I used to work for a great organization called Christians Against Poverty or CAP, and CAP gets people out of debt for free. And I was in the repayment team, which meant that I would be working with clients all the way until the day they hit the debt-free mark. And I remember we had a client who was a doctor, and he was the breadwinner for his family. But one day he, he slipped on the ice and he sustained an injury that meant that he couldn't work for a good while. And he fell so far behind on his mortgage payments that he was risking losing his family home. And then there was the, the client who was married for 20 years. And she woke up one day and her husband said to her, I'm leaving, I'm moving in with my boyfriend. And within about 20 minutes, he was out of the home, never to be seen again. And she couldn't pay her rent. She couldn't pay her council tax bills. She couldn't pay her utilities because she couldn't do anything. She said, I was immobilized. And then there was the man who would have visits from the bailiffs every day, but then suddenly thought to himself, all of these debts are in my name. If I wasn't here anymore, then my family could be left alone in peace. But these two words were spoken over those clients and over 4,000 people every year just like those clients, debt-free. And the caseworker to deliver that news to them down the phone would blow their harmonica. And the 300 people in head office would all blow their harmonicas and we'd all do a Mexican wave together. Why? Because there's nothing like being free. Jesus came to give freedom. Eternal freedom. True freedom. He said this, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And the Apostle Paul said this, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Now before you Christians switch off and say, yes, you have already been liberated, thank you very much. You need this message today. You need this message today because the more you understand about your freedom in Jesus, the more grateful you will be for it. And the more grateful you are, the more stable you will be when the dark and difficult days of life are thrown your way. I remember listening to a pastor 
describe what it was like when his doctor looked him in the eye and said, it's cancer. He said, there was a stab of fear. And then I remembered, he said, the verse that I'd read only that morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, God has not destined you for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, so that whether we sleep or are awake, we might live with him. And he said there was peace like a river. Why? Because his gratitude put cancer in its place. We need that gratitude. We need that amazement of the freedom that is ours in Jesus Christ alone. But if you're here today and you're not yet a Christian, this will be a message primarily for you. Even for those of you who would say, Hugh, I'm fine. I I, I don't need to be liberated. I don't need to be free. I am happy. I am comfortable. I'm successful. I'm loved. And with all the love and respect in the world to you, I would say this, Jesus disagrees with you. Because Jesus said this, if anyone commits sin, if anyone practices sin, he is a slave of sin. And if you would say, I am no slave of sin, I would say this to you, be perfect then. The reason you can't be perfect is because you're just like me. And you're just like everyone else in this room, left to themselves, a slave of sin who cannot liberate themselves by themselves. But our hope and prayer today is that you would come to know the liberator that every believer knows. It doesn't happen when you figure it out. It happens when you trust in the one who came to set us free. Jesus gives liberty. And that's the liberty that every believer has in this room. And so today I want us to see first the liberator and I want us to see second his liberation. So number one, the liberator. Having found Isaiah 61 in the scroll of the Lord, Jesus read to his home synagogue, he, God, has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now on one level... There was nothing unusual about this moment at all. Every synagogue meeting included readings from the Old Testament, just as every church meeting here at HEC includes readings from the Old Testament. But on this Sabbath, and in this moment, and in this synagogue, you could have cut the atmosphere with a knife. Look at the verses that Charmaine just read a few moments ago in verses 14 and 15. They say, And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And then we read in verse 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. So in other words, Jesus came back to his small hometown of about 400 people as his fame was spreading like wildfire in every direction. So that when he read the words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. The question on everyone's mind was, is he saying what I think he's saying? And Jesus answered their wondering question in verse 21. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, yes, Isaiah wrote 
of me. I'm the one come to set us free. So the people marveled at the gracious words coming out of his mouth for a while. Until their amazement turned to bewilderment. Someone thought, wait, this is Jesus. I I remember his first day in Joseph's carpenter shop. I remember the day when he swung a hammer for the first time. I remember seeing him covered in sawdust. And then someone else thought to themselves, wait, this is Jesus of Nazareth who grew up with Steve of Nazareth. Who grew up with Bob of Nazareth and and Mark of Nazareth. How can he now say he's the one come that our forefathers have been waiting for for hundreds upon hundreds of years? And those holes became like holes in a dam that gave way to a flood of opposition. Because with the eyes of the flesh, Jesus was nothing more than a carpenter turned preacher. But with eyes to see, Jesus was and is the liberator of mankind. God made flesh. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is good news, friends, because it means Jesus is able to liberate us. He's more than just a man. He is the God-man. He's the God for whom nothing is impossible. He's the chain breaker. He is the guilt remover. He is the shame eraser. He is the accusation silencer, the demon destroyer, the devil crusher. He is God. And I can't liberate you because I'm just a man. Jesus can liberate you because he's the God man. He isn't captive to the things that I'm captive to. He isn't captive to the things that you are captive to. He is God. He is able. Gloria and I got a little bit hooked recently on a, on a program called I Shouldn't Be Alive. And if it sounds depressing, it is. It, it basically tells the stories and, and interviews people who just survived these almost impossible situations. And there was this one guy who was doing mountain climbing. He got up in the middle of the night to, you know, and he climbed on a boulder and the boulder somehow got unstuck and it fell back on him. And a boulder weighing over a ton crushed his leg. And the person who was with him couldn't do anything. He tried everything. And so eventually he had to bolt down the mountain and go looking for help. And four days later, a man in a helicopter came with everything needed to free him. You see, someone from the outside had to come into the situation in order to liberate the man. And friends, that's how it is with us. If Jesus was like me, If Jesus was like us, Jesus would need liberation just as much as we do. But Jesus came from heaven as God to pull us out of the mess that we've made and to break the chains that bind us. But not only is Jesus able to liberate us, Jesus is willing to liberate us because as God, he is love. He loves you. His heart is for you. He sees you. He is for you. And you know, if the people in the synagogue had really been paying attention, 
And perhaps if we had been really paying attention this morning, we would have noticed that Jesus missed something out of the reading from Isaiah 61. Because Isaiah 61 verse 2 says this, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. But Jesus missed out the reference to the day of vengeance. Why? Because God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It's not that Jesus doesn't believe that the day of vengeance is coming. No one spoke more about the day of vengeance than than Jesus did. It is that Jesus came to bring the day of salvation. This is the day of salvation. This is the day when the chains can be broken. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It's why the Bible says, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. The one whose hand will bring the hammer of justice down had the hammer of Rome fall down on his hand to save all who believe. So again, to those of you who are here and not Christians, Jesus is not a mere example. He is a liberator. He is the liberator. Friend, he didn't come to point you in the right direction. He came to lead you in the opposite direction. He didn't come to bring out the best in you. He came to recreate you from the inside out. He didn't come to improve your posture as you march to hell. He came to lead you all the way to heaven. And so I want us to see second his liberation because we need to understand what Jesus came to liberate us from. If if Jesus is the liberator, then the obvious question is what did he come to liberate us from? Well, Jesus read here from Isaiah when he read, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Now, typically when the Jews would hear of captivity or freedom for the captives, they would naturally think of their forefathers captive to Pharaoh in Egypt or they'd think of their captivity in Babylon in exile. But God had promised a greater exodus from a more deadly taskmaster whose chains are tighter, whose yoke is darker, and his name is sin. My sin, your sin. The problem today, though, is that when people hear of sin, they either imagine a taboo yet fun experience, or or they think of regrettable deeds. So lying to our parents, or stealing from an employer, or committing adultery. But from what you have to understand today is that those things are mere symptoms of the disease, not the disease itself. Sin is a rejection of God. Sin is a rejection of God's inherent right to reign and to rule and to exercise authority over his creation. It feels freeing, but sin is enslaving. It is crushing, it is damning. And then Jesus said, He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. 
Those of us who know the, <clears throat> the Gospels well, we know that Jesus would heal the physically blind because he loved the physically blind. But Jesus healed the physically blind to reveal something about himself. That he is able to do for blind souls what he can do for blind eyes. And can I say, friend, that is your deepest need. Because if we can't see the glory of God shining in the face of Jesus Christ, we'll have no idea that we are sprinting to a precipice that hangs over a lost eternity. And Jesus went on and he said, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Again, the Jews probably would have thought about the year of Jubilee, when all debts were cleared and when the slaves were set free and Jesus is saying if you are oppressed come to me he's saying if you are in debt I'll declare debt free over you and I'll release you no matter who you are no matter what you're dealing with no matter what you're addicted to whether it be alcohol drugs pornography or whatever else no matter how long you've been dealing with those chains no matter how helpless you feel no matter how hopeless you feel come to me and I'll set you free and how can we go to Jesus where can we go to meet with Jesus let me commend to you two places You can find Jesus in his word and you can find Jesus at his cross. You can find him in his word. Did you notice as as Jesus read from the scroll of Isaiah, he said, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Why? Because his word effects what it commands. When Jesus proclaims good news to the poor, they are made immediately loaded in faith. When Jesus proclaims liberty to the captives, they're made as free as birds. When Jesus proclaims the year of the Lord's favor, they have it all. Put your ears to Jesus' mouth. And have him proclaim good news, liberty, and favor into you. And know yourself graced, free, liberated, and delivered. Oftentimes when I'm explaining this to people one-on-one, I'll take them to Psalm 107. We kind of sang it a few moments ago. It says this, Some were fools through their sinful ways. And because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. Listen, he sent out his word and healed them. And delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord For his steadfast love. For his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving. And tell of his deeds in songs of joy. And then Jesus will meet you at the cross. Because at the cross the price was paid for your freedom. The price was paid for your deliverance. 
We stood neath a debt we could never afford. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. You know, most people in this church think that I only have one historical hero. Uh, It's not true, I assure you all. And since Christmas is coming up, let me introduce you to another of my historical heroes. His name was Christmas. He had one eye, because after he preached, he got his other eye battered out of him. Please don't do that to me today. And, 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 and Christmas Evans had an unmatched ability to paint a biblical story with his words in such a way so as to place you right in the heart of the story. And I want you to listen to the way that he described the liberation of a man far more messed up than anyone in this room, far more enslaved than anyone in this room. It was the Gerasene demoniac. You remember him? He was possessed by a legion of demons. And he spent his days and nights living in or by the tombs, cutting himself, crying out in despair. And this is how Christmas Evans unpacked the story. He said the man out of whom the unclean spirits were driven found Jesus and asked if he might stay with him. But Jesus told him to return to his own and show what great things God had done for him. I imagine I I see him go through the city crying, please take notice of me. The demoniac among the tombs. I am the man who was a terror to the citizens of this place. The wild man who would wear no clothes and that no man could bind. Here I am, now in my right mind. Jesus, the friend of sinners, had compassion on me. He remembered me when I was cast down, when there was no eye to pity me, no hand to save me. He cast out the demons and redeemed my soul from destruction. Most wonderful must have been the surprise of the people to hear such a proclamation. And while they were talking and everybody having something to say, homeward goes the man. As soon as he comes in sight of the house, I imagine I see one of the children running in and cry, Mother, father is coming, he will kill us all. Children, come all into the house, says the mother. Let us fasten the door. I think there is no sorrow like my sorrow, says the broken hearted woman. Are all the windows fastened, children? Yes, mother. Mary, my dear, come from the window. Don't be standing there. Mother, I can hardly believe that it is, father. That man is well dressed. Oh, yes, my dear children, it is your own father. I know him by his walk. The moment I saw him, another child step into the window says, Mother, I I never saw a father coming home as he comes today. He walks on the footpath and turns around the corner of the fence. He used to come toward the house as straight as a line over fences, ditches and hedges. And I've never seen him walk as slowly as he does now. In a few minutes, however, he arrives at the house of the, uh, arrives at the door of the house to the great terror and consternation of all the huddled family. He gently tries the door and finds no admittance. He pauses a moment, steps towards the window and says in a low, firm, melodious voice, my dear wife, if you will let me in, there is no danger. I will not hurt you. I bring you glad tidings of great joy. And the door is reluctantly opened. 
as it were, between joy and fear. Having deliberately seated himself, he says, I am come to show you what great things God has done for me. He loved me with an everlasting love. He redeemed me from the curse of the law and the threatenings of vindictive justice. He saved me from the power and dominion of sin. He cast the devils out of my heart and made that heart which was a den of thieves the temple of the Holy Spirit. I cannot tell you how much I love my Savior. Jesus Christ, the foundation of my hope, the object of my faith, the center of my affections. He is my best friend. He is altogether lovely. The chief among 10,000. He is my wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. There is enough in him to make a poor sinner rich, a miserable sinner happy. His flesh is, and blood is my food. His righteousness, my wedding garment. And his blood is sufficient to cleanse me from all my sins. He deserves my highest esteem and my warmest gratitude unto him who loved me with an eternal love and washed me in his own blood. Unto him be the glory, dominion, and power forever and ever. Amen. Friend, if Jesus did that for him, Jesus can most assuredly do that for you. He can do it for you. And can I even say this? If you leave this place today in your chains, it is only because you prefer them to the liberator. It's not his fault. There is nothing ineffective about his word. Nothing powerless about his cross. It is only because you prefer slavery to liberation, chains to freedom, misery to joy. And what does all this mean for us as a church? Basically ignored us all, haven't I, this morning? What does all this mean for us? It means very simply this. We must tell people that they are, in fact, in chains. Because... If we consider evangelism to be nothing more than going up to someone and saying, by the way, Jesus loves you. People will say, thank you very much. My mom loves me as well. My friends love me as well. Without the bad news of sin, the good news is only irrelevant news. And there's all of this talk, there's all of this debate going on in the world at the moment between pastors and church leaders and evangelists about whether the church is really here to transform society. Friend, if you want to transform a society, you've got to see a soul transformed first of all. If you want to see a society released from its chains, the people themselves have to be released from their chains. Again, without the bad news... The good news is irrelevant news. It takes guts. It is not pleasant. You will look like an idiot. Especially because people are so comfortable in the area in which we live. But friend, we can be brave when the God-man is on our side. And when the chain breaker, the guilt remover, 
the shame eraser, the demon crusher, the devil destroyer walks by our side. Then we can tell people the truth and the truth will set them free. And then we can say, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. Why? Because Jesus gives liberty. Amen. 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 We're going to stand and sing, Come, thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free.